November 2nd, 2021. This class should be Le'ilui Nishmat Yosef Ben Penina Ve'David Shukri. Uh, we're in the middle of uh, reading and learning together and in the last class we spent specifically a bunch of time on let's very briefly read it through, understand it, remember it again and then move forward so it said here on page 10 sorry on page 10. Uh, so the description of God as being the essence of good or the ultimate good. It's a Maimonidean type of line. It's a difficult line, as David reminded us last time, to defend. But the description is that goodness has in it not only the capacity, but mehokatob. It, by definition, wants to give good, to spread the good to others. Vezehu, which needs further development, much of which... Myself needs a, a further understanding. It's a hard, it's a hard line to prove. In other words, who defines good as the by definition needing to do good to others? But that's what he's assuming. Harambam has those words in the Moreh. As I mentioned last time, this is very much a Kabbalistic uh, understanding. This is an Arizal understanding that the purpose of creation for Arizal, uh, of God, is so that he can do tob to others. That is the purpose of creation. Because you can't have goodness if there's not a recipient of goodness. And God doesn't only want to spread good or emanate good. He wants it to be hatava shelema. That's the word we focused on and will focus on. That's the shlemut, complete. In order for it to be complete, God in his, in his ultimate and his absolute wisdom knew it's rightful for those who receive it, meaning us, to achieve it, to do it with our own efforts. Because by doing so, we will become we'll become owners of that tob. And we won't have an embarrassed, ashamed uh, feature and, and feelings if we just receive the top. Because after all, a person who receives uh, goodness from another, who receives tzedakah, has a certain embarrassed side. A person who eats that which is not his, is embarrassed to look in the face of the person or the being who gave it to him. So again, as we mentioned last time, it does lead us in so much, unless we redefine it as we did, it leads us in somewhat of a circular position. In other words, the purpose of bringing forth deficiencies in the world, in human beings, is so that human beings will not be embarrassed with their reception of, their receiving of, that goodness. So just take away the feature of embarrassment, and in turn, you but have no such issue. Goodness, it's the opportunity to achieve goodness. The only way to avoid the embarrassment, he says, is to give them the opportunity to achieve it. That's right. So, and I, I didn't read it, but Victor said that the question, the class, everybody asks this question on dative not, is just, so then create human beings differently. Make them, make us, make existence, that you're not embarrassed to receive goodness. If the whole purpose of the deficiencies in this world, the fact that we have to work to achieve them is so that we don't have that embarrassed state of being, 
So make it that we don't have that state of being. In other words, if you, it, 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 we, we're kind of describing the initial will of God based on what appears to be some sort of necessary embarrassment. Why is it a necessary embarrassment? Just avoid that, and in turn, he can just bestow us with absolute goodness from the onset. So what we discussed and we developed was in Derech Hashem, it's in the first source over here, in Chalik Aleph, at the beginning of Perek Bet, he describes this a little bit differently, which, as we read back into Da'atib Unot, is really what Da'atib Unot, same author, Ramchal, is saying. And that is that Shilemut, to define something that's complete, by definition means it was self-achieved. In other words, if it was achieved from outside as opposed to self-achieved, that's not shelemut. The best way to understand that is to envision shelemut as godliness. And as a result, godliness is not something achieved from the outside. In turn, for us to achieve shelemut, and that's the critical line, we have to achieve it on our own. So what's with the embarrassment? The embarrassment is not a siba, it's a siman. It's not the purpose. It's not that we don't get to turn red in the face or white as the Gemara has it after you turn red. It's rather that embarrassment is the feature, the feeling that we associate or should associate with a feeling of deficiency, indeed. Right? And we discussed that in the context of Gan Eden as well, but the words of Ramchal himself in Nadir Bamarom, when a person realizes their dependency upon others, that leads to a certain shameful state. And that's what he's describing. Nothing more and nothing less. So the description in turn the critical line, the critical point here in Ot Yod is more than anything that in order for us to be complete, it means to achieve that completeness on our own, which means to walk or to imitate the ways of God, who is complete and obviously doesn't receive it or have a dependency upon others. All right, continues Da'atib Unot. That's the real summary, really, of last class. Amrah Neshama, aside from the first 17 Otiot. Amrah Neshama Ta'amit Yashiv Belibiz. As the reason that you gave for those deficiencies kind of sits well with me. Ata now Hashlem Devarecha. You had a lot of promises. We're on our way to understanding and developing greater matters than just deficiencies and understanding. Amar HaSechel, he says, I'm not done introducing this. Min haktama sheriktamnu, yasadanu shorish gadol hitbonen alav. He says, based on that introduction, we now have a shorish gadol, we have a root, which is a great root, which we can uh, reflect upon. We can be mitbonen, we can look into it. Vehu, inyan ha-chisaron shlemuto, we can reflect upon deficiency and completeness. Chisaron and shlemut. Ki ata sarich lada'at, because now that we're talking about deficiency and looking to fill ourselves and make ourselves complete, let's look into what it is to define a deficiency. And what does it in turn mean for us to complete creation? After all, that's what it's about. It's about having self-completeness. It's about finding a, a, a cosmic Shlemut. Well, what is Shlemut? How do I achieve Shlemut? What's the proper path to doing so? Umahim toldotav. And then what are the, what do they call it? Practical effects, the derivatives, the consequences. All right, that's the Sechil. Again, the Sechil is always the, in this, in this book, it's the wise one responding to the questioning one. Not, not stupid, but questioning one. Amra neshama aval choshevetani says the neshama, but wait a second, Sechil. Shaya sarich lahavin. Maybe we need to go in the opposite direction. Maybe I need to think about, in order to understand deficiencies, well, what's my end goal? That's what I had a PD recently in, in the school, a backward design. Backward design means you teach 
I just made this association now. Uh, you teach based on the outcome. Not exactly a Talmudic uh, Torah study type of vision, but rather, what is it that I want the students to end with? That's my goal, and now trace that backward to understand how you're going to teach the lesson. Again, you know, it takes away a little bit of the Torah lishma, the uh, intrinsic, uh, it's a backward design teaching, I think is what it was called. I have to read the book to fully understand. No, it doesn't sound so backward. In the business world, it's very appropriate. If you're teaching your underling, how are you going to structure, and you you brought someone into the business, how are you going to structure your lesson for them in terms of getting them to that point? You have to start with, what's the point I want them to be at? Otherwise, I get confused. I get thrown off. It works very much. If you're in a math class, it's very appropriate. In a science class, probably works as well. It's only that, in my vision, maybe not everyone, Talmud or Tanakh, I have intrinsic motivations there. I want there to just be the experience more than the outcome. Do you know what I'm saying? Although you can argue it's the skills. You know, in Talmud, you could argue the skills. That's a backward design. But I mean, you know, we deliberate. I, I purposely you got a choice of which one of the PDs you wanted to take. I wanted to take this one, so you still haven't figured out. PD's professional development. Yeah, that's uh, I, sp- I speak like a, like a well-seasoned teacher. I was very into all this stuff. So anyway, so anyway, that's what he So the Neshama says back, shouldn't we be looking at what Shlemut is? She'az, and then Navin Lemafrea calls Eshehizkan, we'll be able to trace it backward and reflect upon retroactively all that which leads up to it. If I know my end goal, if I know the definition of Shlemut, Maybe then I'll figure out the path. Says it appears quite simple. By definition, if I'm looking to achieve something, that's what I'm missing right now. So let's work backwards. You wanted to tell me, let's focus on what are we missing? I don't know who we're missing. I don't know what it means to fill in what we're missing. So tell me what the end goal is, which means to say, in short, by the way, in parentheses, tell me about Olam Haba. Tell me about Yemot HaMashiach. Now, that's not to say, Jack, that we're, that we're focused on it as the arrival there, but it's rather to envision it as, and this is our conversations always, as Shlemut. And once I can understand that, yeah, esoteric as it is, it can then set forth for me a mission. Certainly, certainly. And we're going to have to derive within the process intrinsic motivations and so forth. Do you say also that Shlemut means that once you hit that end, it's you over. Stop. Yeah. It's over. It's over. It doesn't yeah. continue. Which again that. means right. there is nothing after that, so right. to speak. That, that is Correct. the end. That is it. Well, That's uh, the uh, end. For that reason. I guess from this concept, I you on the side a little bit. In our Declaration of Independence, it says the pursuit of happiness, not the achievement. Achievement of happiness. Yes. And this is. Basically, but this is defining the pursuit of completeness, but accepting in parentheses in a footnote that you're not getting there. So you need to. The, basically, the argument is: How am I defining happiness? So start with defining happiness, and then tell me what we're working at is the pursuit of it. Yeah, but in so the same case, it's, happiness is not. A, it's not a. Uh, of course, end, right? of course, yeah, of course. Yeah. Umipresha haser hasar mimenu who sarich lishtadel liknoto veliknoto. He concludes very right. Since you're missing it, that's what you're seeking to fill in. Amar hasek says the sechel kendi barta. I like that design. Omnam, however. This is the truth is, in order to get there, I can't really pinpoint Shlemut. Why can't I really pinpoint Shlemut? 
because it's beyond me, because it's in a different realm, different domain of thought, to be able to envision even those words, whatever they mean, is completely and utterly beyond our capacity to understand. It's in a completely different sphere of understanding of existence. He says, so as a result, what I can talk about is klal. I can give general principles. I can't actually define the details. Eli says, but there's something you might say, so let's end the pursuit then. But if we do understand that end goal of Shlemut in its general sense, it will then, turning backward, even though I have just a general vision of the final goal, I'll then plug into where I am and be able to pinpoint details. Do you understand? In other words, even if the destination is not fully defined, if I know where the destination is, if I know what it generally looks like, I can then, within my own life, be able to associate what are the piratim that will get me in that direction. Even if I don't have a precise definition of the contours, a description of that shleimut, but I do know anything that's not even the general sense is chisaron. Amraha neshama responds, neshama, emor ma sheata omer ala shleimut. I say, all right, so get to the point. Tell me about shleimut. So what is shleimut? And here's the last, uh, for, for now, I'd, I'd read this last oath for tonight. Amar ha-sechel ha-shleimut ha-zu pashutu min ha-mikra min ha-sfara. Classic. Simple. Both from the text and from logic. Sure. Shleimut. What we're all seeking to achieve, it's just pashut. Simple. It's to cleave to the sanctity, the kedushah of God. Vegas. That's it, simple. Even for even Moshe. And in turn, some sort of enjoyment from the achievement of that honor and glory. Without any preventative forces, any separation. Mm-hmm. Simple. <laughs> we can now talk about it in Pesukim. I'm speaking with the Lashon of the Gemara. If you want, I'll give you Pesukim. The Oneg, that, deri- that de- deriving uh, the the uh, the elated state of being, Al Hashem, that's the dveikus, that's the connectedness to God. Yeshevu yesharim et panecha, sova semachot et panecha, and so forth. Ahirim ka'ele rabim ad meod. Many pesukim which talk about the righteous and those who have achieved it, being able to bask in the glory of God's greatness. Look no further than the words of the nivim and ketubim. Geluim lechol ha'amim, they're revealed to all. You'll be able to just derive it and find it from the Pesukim and the Torah. You'll find it even in the words of the Hachamim. Again, he's talking about Olam Haba. That's the only way I can conceive of, even though I don't really conceive of it, I could speak about Shlemut without any barriers. There's no eating and no drinking. What is Olam Haba? The righteous ones sit. Their crowns are on their heads, Jack. And they're just deriving benefit and enjoying the ziva shechina, the radiance of the indwelling. All right, fantastic. You've explained very little other than describing it as pashut and no barriers, direct 
cleaving to God. What does that mean? Clearly not physically. You told me not physically. Yet you mentioned crowns and so forth. All right, we're speaking as well as we can about this. All right, what about logic? You told me it's logical. And I can tell you logically that the end goal is indeed, of sorts, in, uh, in, in ways. Ian, that'll get you excited. Uh, the neshama, ultimately speaking, to speak about nishmat hayim, well, the Torah describes it's so to speak the breath of God so to speak important words but it's a portion so to speak of God if we're to accept that as the Torah tells us so then what is the what's the direction of a part of godliness other than to make its way back to that godly state of being. That's the assumption, to get back to the source. Just like anything that is caused wants to make it back to the initial cause of it. And there will only be a peaceful state of being when it arrives at that, when it actually gets back to it. Again, so what has he described to us here in Ot Chavdalet so far? That Shereimut is to be defined as Devekut. What is Devekut? It's the state of being where there's no divisions, no barriers between yourself and divinity. Hard to define, but you could talk about a biklalut. What is this devekut? How do I achieve it? We live in a world of efficiencies. Can't actually understand it. We can describe it. We can imagine it. We can speak poetically about it. We could give mishalim for it, but to actually understand what it means to have no barriers and to connect to God in a full way, but based on that, at the very least, we can now trace backward and say, so anything that is the division between myself and God, also hard to define, that's the chisaron. That's what I'm looking to overcome. The same way I understand that that devekut is shlemut, so too, somewhat repetitive, I understand that the chisaron, the deficiency is, the distance, we need to overcome the barriers, that which separates ourselves from cleaving, what does that mean? Can't tell you right now, to God. He says, okay, now it's time for another introduction, although this was, of course, all an introduction. I don't think all he's right. referring to complete shilimut, because it's impossible. By definition, Having other is hisarun. Right. So he must be talking about levels, like we said. It takes us back to our conversation at the end of class with David last week, which of course, and that's Jack already calling our attention to that, that when we refer to shleimut, we're we're describing shleimut as the state of being during which you're connected to God. Better. Well, what does it mean to be connected to God? If you're actually shalem, this was, David pointed out a a paradox over here. He says, if God is the source of completeness, so then I am seeking to become that, does that mean that I become God? So obviously the answer is no, but I come to the closest that I can to that. In other words, I'm quote unquote sitting right next to him, but not on his lap, not on his chair, you know, to give it's a much of Our concept of shalemut, which is not an absolute right. shalemut. Right. 
All right. Well, that being the case, he's left us with, uh, I mean, he'll, he'll develop it a bit more. He has left us with a beginning of an understanding. That's confusing, certainly. But his description of Shlemut equated with Devekut, equated with what we're searching for in life. Now, what's the way to there? It didn't really give us anything. It gave us broad contours. Of course, he wants to develop that more. Elsewhere, he writes about this. Before I go elsewhere, in source two and three on the sheet in front of you, those are the Pesukim in the Torah that talk about, although there are one or two others, this Sivuy of Dibuk. Uh, you know, you have that word throughout Megillat Rut, of course, Veruta Bekaba. You have that word, Vedavak Beishto, but in the context of God, cleaving to him. Source number two, Devarim Perik Yod Gimal. Look at that, they're out of order. It should be Yod Gimal, then Yod Elf, and then you're okay. Irrespective, Ahare Adonai Lechem Telechu. You should walk after God. You should fear him, should be in awe of him. Fulfill his mitzvot. Heed his call, his sound. And worship him. Those last words, of course, are the devekut. So there's a long description, indeed. You know, that's somehow it's appropriate and easy for Moshe. Right, so what's that? So on the one hand, says, says, says Maurice Salame, he says, well, on the one hand, ahare, you're walking after God. On the other hand, you're cleaving to him. So, I mean, again, that's along the lines of Jack telling us that you're not actually going to be side by side with him. You know, it's true. He talech lefanai by Abraham, but not really, you know, just kind of conceptually. But anyway, it didn't help us all that much. Furthermore, I just... It, I can't tell you Peshat in Pasuk, but I can tell you it's difficult anyway, conceiving, making any sense of the Pasuk. So about walking on the ways of God and then cleaving to him. Well, what's the objective? Is one a process to the other? You have the same thing again in source number three in Devarim Perik Yodal Pasuk Chafbet. Ki im shamor tishmerun et kol ha-mitzvah hazot asher anuchim saveh etchem na'asota le'ahavat Adonai Eloheichem la'lechet b'chod derachav. Again, halicha b'derachav right there. Uldov kabo, and to cleave to him. So again, he, he, the association in the Pasuk is Halicha Bidrachav, what they call in Latin, Imitatio Dei, right? That's imitating the ways of God and the Vekut, and cleaving to him. It appears almost as if one is contingent or one is what yeah, leads by, to the by, other. By, by acting, the more you act like him, him, you have the ability. The to more cleave. you attach yourself. If, if you're actually part of, if each nation is right. part of it. Like that. So that's the direction. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I want to set forth for you. I want to tell you that I think Ramhal, although he doesn't say it explicitly in Da'atev Unot, I think he comes very close to saying this explicitly in Derech Hashem here in Ot Gimal at the top of the page. But I'll prove it to you before we, I'm not prove it to you, I'll suggest it to you from other sources before we read it in the words of Ramhal, which I think he, he's making clear to us. So on Halicha Bidrachav. Which is the which is the part of that that mitzvah or those mitzvot that are generally more highlighted in rabbinic literature and contemporary discussions? We talk about walking in the ways of God. A well-known Gemara Masechet Sotayah. Up to this yet? We certainly learned this together. You, yeah. you got there already. All right. Oh, you know, I was very proud that we went fast, but you guys are there. Right? Anyway, so it says the Gemara. What does it mean? The pasuk in source number two. Is it possible to walk after the Shekhinah? Doesn't the Pasuk 
say that the God is in his earthly manifestation, Esh Ochela, he's a consuming fire. If you walk after him, you'll be consumed. Rather, says the Gemara, act in his ways. But I don't have a darn clue what his ways are. Look at what the Torah says about his ways. He's Malbisha Arumim, he's Mevakir Cholim, he's Kover Metim, and so forth. That's what it means to have Halicha Bidracha. No mention in this Gemara of this Divekut. There's no mention of that. Interestingly, Rashi, in his commentary to the Torah, and it's always fun when you pick these up, because, you know, I, I remember once being in a, in a shiur of uh, Rabbi Leichter, and so someone asked him, Rabbi Leichter is a big Baal Machshava, when I teach Nefesh Hayim, I always use his commentary on it. He's, uh, he's involved in Kiruv and all sorts of other things, a brilliant mind, in my opinion. Anyway, so I was in a class of his during lunch when I was in Yeshiva, I went down the block and he was giving class, and so someone asked him, what's the greatness of Rashi in his commentary to the Torah? So Rabbi Leichter nearly fainted on the spot. I says, well, how could you ask such a question? Well, I'm Rashi. His eyes lit up. And he said, so he said, I'm not trying to put him down. I just don't understand. Every time Rashi quotes something, it's always a citation to a Gemara or to a Midrash. So what's he doing? And so, of course, he said, can you imagine? How do you talk like that about Rashi? Okay, when he got past all that, he said, you have to read every single letter and every single word very carefully and understand that the greatness was that he's perceptive, that he's understand, understandable on several levels. Either you read it just as a collection of rabbinic sources or you pay attention to which ones he chose and how he presents them. So here's, in my mind, a prime example. Rashi on the pasuk, on the words, upotid bakun. Not on the words, on vehalachta. But rather on the cleaving, cites this Gemara. Says Rashi, Hadbek Vidrachav. Attach yourself to his ways. Gemol Hasadim, Kevor Metim, Bakir Chodim, Kemosha Sakadosh Barchu. He's misquoting the Gemara, and he's well aware he's misquoting the Gemara. He's using, using that Gemara, walking in the ways of God, for how to cleave to God. Now, certainly. Cleaving to God is unachievable in its absolute sense in this world. You could talk about it in an olam haba type of vision, but Rashi says, you want to know how you get to it in olam hazeh, to the best of our capabilities? It means to mimic his ways. Because the description of devekut, as I think Victor said in the first moment of the class, is if we want to talk about devekut, we want to talk about shlemut. It means I have to think about what is God. So I'm not holding on to him. There is no physicality. The way He's bookending it. Rashi? Yeah. But I think it's more than that. I think the there, book ending is Peshat in Pasuk. It's not synonymous. It's no, not synonymous. The Vekut. completely synonymous, but one is like the result of that's the That's right. But not a full result. Halicha gets you to That's right. right. That's, I, again, if it's, if it's Pashut to you, it's Pashut to you. Right. For me, it's a novel. There's a Hidush mm-hmm. over here. And that is the Vekut is so esoteric, it's so out of this world. All the Pesukim and Midrashim that Ramchal quoted are in an afterlife experience, right? So how do I even think about it in this world? And the Torah tells you, think about it and look to achieve it. And Ramchal says, Shlemut is the Vekut in this world, but you quote him Pesukim of out of this world. So think about how it affects you in this world. How does it affect me in this world? I have no idea. So the answer is, and again, Victor said in the first minute is, well, mimic his ways. Mimicking his ways makes you more like him. But you have the same table as him. When you have the same table as him, so you're kind of attached to him. Are you attached to him without barriers, without divisions? Impossible to state such a thing in this world. We can't even conceive of that out of this world. But that's the description of Devekut with a lowercase Dalit, with a lowercase D, right? That's a Shlemut in turn with a lowercase S, because a Shlemut in its full effect is godliness, is an out-of-world experience. The description in this world is in that fashion. Sorry, go ahead, Maurice. Okay. Oh, 
I had that problem in how to define what I'm about. So in, in the late perspective. And I came up with perpetual legacy. Perpetual legacy is a great way to describe it, certainly through an Avraham uh, lens, because we never talk about anything beyond. And secondly, uh, it's for, for our this worldly uh, experience. And so that's his olam haba. So his olam haba is in olam hazeh, so to speak, because the perpetual legacy continues on. Where is it? Where is it manifested? It's in this world. That's what he said. Thank you. But but that's why at the end of the barim, Hashem buried him in this world. Right. Right. So not to make him contrary to Eliyahu, you know, so to speak. Right. His, make his doppelganger. Yeah, I understand. Now, I understand. I mean, I, I do remember one time I kind of gave a class in the synagogue, not here, not there, whatever, and I talked about Olam Haba, and the objective of the class had nothing to do with Olam Haba. It had to do with Harambam's approach to understanding achievement in this world. That's re- that was really the description. And it was using Olam Haba as an intellectual uh, 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 marker to test out every place Harambam talks about Olam Haba, at least in Hilchot Teshubah, and to understand there are different levels, quote-unquote, of Olam Haba, and in turn, there's different levels of achievement. So I can understand more, I can feel more, I can worship more, and it's not an all-or-nothing endeavor. That was the point of the class, very basic. Apparently, at one point in the class, at one point, one juncture, this is what I was told afterwards by the person who was very unhappy with me, I called Olam Haba the ultimate reward which very much disturbs some. So how could you call it the ultimate? You could call it a reward. Called the ultimate reward takes our vision off of our achievements in this world and focuses us instead on an out-of-world experience. So I did remind him two things. I mean, one, which is very much what you said, I said, I'm, I'm explaining Olam Haba, not in that respect. Very much what you're describing is exactly what I was saying in Olam Haba. So that is the ultimate achievement. It was, I am focused on this world. And secondly, I said it was just a marker to get so to a point where I was facing. Yeah, of course, of course. All right, listen, everybody wants to focus on different things, no, be involved in different things. Involved, we, we have a time lapse versus being godly at no time lapse. It's so above how do you take it. So that's what you're saying, an eternal legacy. I gotcha. I, I like it. I like it. I, I, I will tell you the Midrash, it's not only Rashi, it's a Midrash in a different context, in a funny statement, which I won't fully define, but you know, if you've heard me talk, you've heard me define it. Otherwise, does associate between Halicha Bidrachav and Devekut as well, explicitly. So it's not only this Rashi Allah Torah, it's not only Ramchal in his Derech Hashem, maybe a little in Da'at Tevonot. It's this Midrash in source number six. The Midrash is Doresh, both Pesukim. Ahare Hashem Elokechem, Telechu, says the Midrash. How do you do so? After all, God is beyond capacity. And, second line, Ve'ata Omer, so the pasuk is or the midrash is so. It's almost an identical citation of the Gemara and Sota, but focusing instead on the cleaving to God. It says it's esh ochila and so on and so forth. Pesukim ela. Rather, what are you to do to get to dveikus, to the cleaving, to the attachment? Says the midrash, follow the ways of God. The strange part of this Midrash, which needs interpretation, is how do you follow the ways of God? So we said, you clothe the naked and you visit the sick and so forth. This Midrash says, plant trees. 
It's a beautiful midrash for those who love the environment. Plant trees, the same way God planted trees in the Gan Eden prior to bringing Adam and Chavayim. So too you should plant trees, concludes the midrash. That's what the Pasuk says. Kitavo el ha'aretz. You're going to come to the land and you're going to be notia. That's the description of walking in the path of God in the Vekut Hashem. So the Midrash needs an interpretation. Maybe I'll give it in a second. But the purpose of reading this Midrash right now is how the Midrash conflates the two. The Midrash mentions Halicha Bidrachav together with the Vekut. It says the Vekut is achieved through walking in his ways. Nothing more and nothing less. Again, it leaves you with an ultimate barrier. You're still not God and you're still not holding on to him and co- cozying yourself with him. But... It does put you on a certain platform of understanding. It does put you on a divine level of sorts because you're acting the role of divinity. What does it mean to plant trees? Well, I'm not fully certain, but it reminds me of the Midrash, which Rashi and his greatness leaves out. Rashi in his early commentary to the Torah on the word Bereshit. Bereshit, Rashi is bothered. It's a difficult word because the word is at the beginning of. The beginning of what? At the beginning of? Time, which is probably the easiest interpretation, says Rashid, Bereshit has to be read differently. Bishvil Rashid, for the beginning. What's for what beginning? Says Rashid, for Am Yisrael, who are known as Rashid, for the Torah, which is known as Rashid. That's where Rashid stops. Go ahead. So the Midrash, go ahead. The Midrash, oh, it's gonna, it's, you got a few more minutes here, so keep your thought. The Midrash continues. The Midrash says, Bishvil Moshe Reshit. It does not say, Bishvil Amalek. The Midrash continues. It says, Bishvil, no, I know that's where you're going. Bishvil Bikurim Shenikra'u Reshit. Reshit Periha Adama. Bishvil Hala Shenikra'u Reshit. Reshit Arisotechem. Strange continuation of Midrash. Makes sense that she left that out. It doesn't want confuse, confusing you at the beginning of the Torah. But what does the Midrash even mean? Moshe, talk about at some point but hala and bikurim what sort of description is that so my oh my my standard interpretation to this yeah but it's, it goes hand in hand with this midrash and my understanding of it goes like this is that the challenge in a in a uh, in a global perspective of the torah in a, in a broadened perspective of the torah is the ability to work the ground and to still find god in it that's the failure of gana eden working the ground and finding yourself is the failure of gana eden throughout zefer bereshit it's the shepherds who don't work the ground in contrast to the uh, agriculturalists, who are the failed ones, they're the Egyptians, they're the individuals who can't see beyond themselves. When you are dependent upon another, a shepherd, uh, a Yaakov, Ishtam Yoshev Ohalim, which parenthetically means, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, not that he was studying Torah, I mean, I'm sure, <laughs> sure he did that also, but rather, as Rashbam, as even Ezra point out, the Pasuk in, in Bereshit, Perek Daud, Pasuk Chaf, talks about Yoshev Ohel, Umikne. Yoshev Oel Umikne means it's a shepherd. That's what the Yoshev Ohali means. So he was a shepherd, which means he's a good guy. So it means throughout Jeff Bereshit, the good guys of the shepherds have a healthy sense of vulnerability, dependency upon the others. To work the ground is the danger of finding yourself. It's the Cain expression as opposed to Hevel and so on and so forth. So then what's this about? This is about entering into Eretz Yisrael. You enter into Eretz Kenan, now I want you working the ground. But I want you in that ground, and here's the challenge of the Torah to find sanctity, to find divinity. I want you to have Shemitah and Yovel and Ma'asrot and Terumot and Bikurim and Hafrashat Hala and to plant trees. I want you to rise to the occasion of and to the circumstance of I'm not distancing myself from the challenges of, quote, domains in which it's hard to find God. I'm going to jump right into them. So that's what I think the point of this Midrash is. All parenthetical, our, for our purposes, it means devekut is halicha bidrachav, or at the very least, halicha bidrachav leads to devekut. I think that's the point that's being made. Sorry, go ahead, Joe. 
So, particularly on the Rashi interpretation, how does that position the discussion around the moral atheist? In terms of being able to find Shalemun, because it's, you know, Mabisha Romim, you know, etc., right? Go through the list. What's the question now? You don't. You, He's asking if you are a moral atheist. If, so, how do you. Okay, so I mean, that has to be the answer. The answer has to be something along the lines of, although I can't fully flesh this out, and even if I could, I couldn't now, but it has to be something along the lines of finding the definition of morality through divinity. How am I going to do so? Through analyzing God. So, you'll tell me that an atheist can do it with the wrong perspective. Maybe they can get lucky. If they, if they analyze the world well enough and find godliness in nature, in the way the world works, they can tap into that in a, in a strange way and as a result be without realizing that they're doing so. So you can have an accidental uh, moral... To something that they don't acknowledge exists yeah. or come close to it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, you know what it's reminiscent of? It's reminiscent of uh, what Kuzari is far from, but Harambam states. Harambam has a reverence for Aristotle. He believes Aristotle rose to a yeah. level of nivuah, although although Aristotle did have some conception of yeah, divinity. But, you, but regardless, not of our divinity. Indeed, indeed, indeed. But it's hard. It's hard and uncomfortable to say that an atheist right. gets there. In other words, for Aristotle, yeah, okay, he had a belief in God. Maybe he had a belief in God who wasn't Kadmon, but at least to believe in God, an atheist who has a disdain or uh, whatever, all right, but the answer is yes, it'll be a whole lot more difficult, A, and B, uh, well, same thing, it'll potentially lead them, lead them in, in the wrong direction. Well, all that being the case, I, I have just one or two last points to be made on this. Um, first, it's just to point you to the last source over here. The last source is from Rabbi Soloveitchik's book, first in Hebrew. Itai and I discussed this some time ago, and I told him in a text, I think, that I don't understand anything in this book. Well, sure enough, I quoted from the book nonetheless. It's Ubi Kashtem Misham in Hebrew. It was translated into English, and from there you shall seek. I don't really understand anything that he wrote on his own, but there's a lot of which I do have a, a somewhat of a grasp. Poetic. Yes, very poetic. <laughs> this is, it was written at the same time the other book that I like to quote, Isha Halacha Halachic Man. Halachic Man just easier to understand. For me, for me, that philosophy, that mode of thought is just easier. I, I feel like I, at the very least, had a glimpse of such a world. This is a lot more poetic, a lot more out there, a lot more his vision of Kabbalah intermingling with Halakha and so forth. Anyway, he, he dedicates, and I remembered this as I was preparing, from page 81 through 84. I didn't remember those pages. I looked that up today. Um, he has, I have to just be clear about this. He dedicates a passage in which he talks about really our issue. Was really, maybe I was influenced by him without remembering. Really our issue, and you know, just read even the first, the first few words, and then I'll, I'll fill in the, the ellipsis and what he talks about in there. Imitation, of course, a reference to... Right? However, cannot be enough. So just acting the part of God is not enough. Although the vision of vision of is distinguished by its glory and power. Right, it's great to act like God. The road that goes up to the house of God does not end there already, poetic, right? It is still possible for the individual to continue his ascent from imitating to cleaving. That's Ubotid uh, back. Imitating is linked to cleaving. That's the point we're making throughout over here. From the level of walking in his ways, man ascends to the level of cleaving unto him. Right. That, that's the point we're making. Halichabitrachav leads you to a state of devekut. In the ellipsis, he points out, but it's not really practical. 
Because to get to a point of, I don't know, homeostasis, of uh, static, of just, just am God in this world, not am God, am divine in this world, it's just uh, we're, we're physical in this world. And he goes on, he quotes from Kabbalists and Pesukim and Midrashim alike. We are in a world of Ratzol Vashon. By definition, we are in a world of, as, as your father-in-law was saying earlier, of Halicha, Halicha Acharav. So we can't be Didbak. So he, he, he marks that paradox. And he gets stuck on it a bit. And throughout the book, he's kind of describing a Ratzov Ashov relationship with God, this dialectic of coming to him and then right racing away from him and so forth. But he does point out a point which we are making, I believe, or maybe I'm just reading it this way, in the eyes of Halakha, and you know, he's, he's, again, he, he elaborates, it's several pages here, in the eyes of Halakha, this cleaving is not a vague hope sung in some faraway eschatology. Eschatology, I made a mistake and once mentioned it in a speech in the, in the synagogue. Yeah, it was a mistake, early mistake. I told you, anything, anything beyond two Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I defined, it, I defined it right afterwards, but nobody was interested once I used that word. Why do you need to use that word? You know, we know. We, just, just, just say what you want to... Anyway, all right, eschatology means a messianic vision. When you talk about something eschatological, you're talking about the end of days. Okay, that's what the word means. So it's not a vague hope sunk in some faraway eschatology, some vision of Yemot HaMashiach, but a clear notion that can be grasped by halachic apprehension, whose fulfillment is rooted in the real present. The eschatological tomorrow, right, thinking about Yemot HaMashiach as afterwards, is linked by the halacha, we're defining that as with the simple dismal today. It means that the annoying life that we live in actually gives a window to devekut. Does it give you full devekut with the capital D, capital D? Certainly not. But it does give you a window to that. Sulam. That's what he's describing. That's the sulam and so forth. It's now, it's achievable. It's achievable, but not in its complete state. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he makes that clear. It's the same thing that Ramchal uh, is doing. Mm-hmm. We're doing all the same thing. I'll just fill it out a little bit more with my midrashim. The Gemara and Masechet Nedarim, Adaf Lamed Chet, here in source number seven, just to fully fill this out. The Amar Biyohanan says the Gemara, Batehila initially Hayam Moshe lo me Torah meshakihad shenetena lo bematana. When Moshe, I think, I think that's the scripture. Yeah, you can derive it from the pasuk when he goes up that mountain to receive the Torah. He learns it and forgets it, learns and forgets. There's another midrash that says how many times, irrespective, he's learning and forgetting until it's given to him as a present. Famously, there's an introduction to the book, to the book Peri Yitzchak, that's Rabbi Itzala Blazer. And in that book, he has a whole introduction in which he compares two ways of achieving Torah, Mimkar or Matana. Are we achieving it through acquisition, through our own Amelut, or Matana, some sort of Siata Dishmaya, in which he argues, as Yagati Umatsati, there's a twofold process of receiving. The Gemara, interestingly, describes something very funny. It's a Midrash, of course, but the Midrash is he studies and forgets, studies and forgets, until it's given to him as a present. What's the description of you? I wonder if the understanding of Torah is, in our words, in our minds, equated with divinity, equated with the Vekut, equated with grasping it all, no divisions. So the description is he's a human being. By definition, he's going to constantly be forgetting it. It's impossible for him, as a human being, to actually achieve that state of absolute Vekut. Even Moshe Rabbeinu Sharon, right? Even Moshe, he had to be shochech until mitela no bematana, which means lowercase d. Do you follow? Until God, so to speak, says, listen, you can get really close, but it has to be with me and separated. Go ahead. The whole framework that we've been discussing has, has not once until just now 
reference the study of Torah. It's all about the halakha. You are correct. I am extending it in this respect. I'm not so uncomfortable doing so. Uh, I do think the hachamim very much talk about uh, Torah, if you read carefully, as an avodah. And as an avodah means it's a mode of worship. If it's a mode of worship, it's learning the ways of God. And it's, you're, you're right. No, no they, you're they right. Are two, they are competing paradigms. Um, a life of Torah and a life of Torah or, or a life of misvot. It's the same. Yeah. Or a life of halakha. I'm not saying they're, I'm not saying they're, they're incompatible paradigms, but they are oftentimes competing paradigms. And if your goal is to include, how would you balance... You know, what would you say is the ideal balance of those two things to achieve the Gemara in Masechet, the Gemara at the end of the first Perek in Masechet Kiddushin has the famous question, what's Gadol? Of course, the paradoxical answer is Talmud because it's Mevili de Maaseh, which makes it sound like Maaseh is Gadol. Tosafot's question, you know, the paradox always. Um, so no, so it certainly does sound from the Gemara as if it's competing. I mean, the ultimate answer is that they're not competing, not yeah. fully simple. Exactly what the ultimate line of the Gemara is, but he, Joey is pointing out, you're right, I'm sharing this, I'm, I'm suggesting this in this context. Hard to argue that Torah certainly is, is, is disassociated. It is a novelty of our nation to turn the study of Torah, I mean, this has been noted, into the ends, which is a crazy thing. Um, talk to any... Any lawyer. And uh, suggest to the lawyer that the study of, quote, irrelevant information and law is a, is, but become a professor, which means that you're living in a world which is disassociated with reality. Whereas we say the association with true reality, with divinity, is through the study of pedantic law. You've done all of your PD, you know. Indeed. My backward design is so far from this description. You're you're saying to be very meaning. The the, it, the, the, S, the ultimate goal the is learning to the end, right? Which is. Yeah. It, it, we're just, we're questioning what is the vekut. So the description throughout was halicha bidrachav. Right. He's saying, I'm now introducing me, this is me doing this, it's not even, uh, introducing Torah as a method to that end. Right. Not exactly the same thing. Right? As he said, if I'm acting the part of God, if I'm yeah. becoming godly, I was like, I understand, that's the vekut, you put yourself at the table. <laughs> if you, I understand. So, so the counter, part. that's right, the counter argument will be, there's another mode and that's an understanding of God and the more I understand God and the more myself my mind is then conditioned to be godly as well which would probably be the description of Torah has to be something along those lines my my thinking is it's all I don't understand the issue because it should be both yeah, because you learn Torah in order to do the Masin, no, and by doing the Masin, that's how you become... Yeah, that that you're, that's not what I'm saying. And that's so not what this... You, I'm saying the Torah... I'm, I'm, I'm being yeshivish here, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm turning Torah into an ends in and of itself, right? Yeah. It's, it's, not a, it's not a means to and an how end. Does that, how does that... How did that connect to well, the general... How do you to, get that from what it says? Yeah, do, yeah. Where did you get that from? Because I, t- I didn't hear hang that. Hang on, hang on. Twofold. Firstly, come on. <laughs> Come on, when's the last time you've been to Sha'aris Yon? It's Gemara class, it's we Gemara class all the time on, on Gemarot that are not associated with Ma'aseh. Are you accusing me and all the rabbis there and elsewhere not looking to achieve Dvekut? So that's the first answer. Second answer is, I, I, I got that from this Gemara because the Gemara isn't talking about Ma'aseh. The Gemara is telling a strange story about Moshe studying Torah and then being forced to forget it until it's being given to him. It doesn't say he's learning Halakha. 
Well, this is Torah. Torah, I'm understanding, is more expansive than just Maaseh. I always do. I always have and I always will. And yes, it takes time to elaborate and explain why we have this strange thing in our religion, in our system, in which the judicial you know, system has become sanctified and has become a theological system, which does not exist anywhere else, right? It's, it's the antithesis of Christianity, as a matter of fact. Christianity is you get stuck in all that law and you lost the vision of God. Whereas Judaism does it differently, so I, it is it is an assumption. He is he, he did catch me on an assumption. It's just to me so simple. But I, I guess the best way the best way to refine this and to describe it is yes, there are two modes. There's either through the action I'm acting God, or through the Torah I'm thinking God. Thinking God is the Vikuta as well. Right, thinking exactly. God, not thinking so only about Him. I'm becoming God. Learning a, it is just is just is just yes, but don't say only as. Changing who you it's are. It's not right. You're not just learning to do right. I understand, right, yes, right, right, I understand right. that, but it also changes your mindset that's right. and, and what your perspective is and how you think and Correct. what you're focused Correct. on. Correct. So that's the response. Yeah. But Joey did catch me on the jump over here. To me, they're the same. Good. All right, so you we're together. That was you just yeah, a minute no, ago yeah, choosing. Exactly. We still learn yeah, things, that, we still learn things that are not, that have nothing to do with our everyday life. I mean, Limashal, Limashal, you brought me, uh, you, I, of course, but you brought me into your business. And you taught me about the objectives and ideals of your business, aside from making money, right? You talked about the objective ideals of your business. That is the Torah vision. I'm not going to work in your business. I'm not even coming to collect money from you. I'm just there to learn about your business. And you are enlightening me as to a method of thought, a way that you see the world through what you're doing in your business. That's the Torah dimension. Alternatively, you bring me into the showroom and you teach me how to create the fabrics and sell the, I don't know, whatever you do, whatever. You did that sort of stuff. That's the Maaseh. Those are two different things. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Those are two different things. They are, they are two important things. They are two important aspects that they are different. Different. The first one is a lot more novel. The first one, which again, I think we generally accept and assume, both. you need both. But again, you know, it, it's easier to speak as the midrashim have about the second, about the what I'm yeah, one, the maaseh one. Yeah. It's for that reason, and I think I'm convinced. It's just easier to say it. To say to walk in the way of God is to do His things, as opposed to think Him. That's a lot easier to state. Uh, but the assumption throughout, I think, is that's what Torah is. You see, that that's, okay, so that's the that. The distinction Kimara. between sitting in a class and doing an apprenticeship. Of course, of course. But again, the sitting in the class in the Torah world is significant on the path, yes. in my mind, yes. to the Vekut as well. But that being the case, again, what's the what, What's my punchline in this Gemara? My punchline in the Gemara is the knowledge of Torah would constitute the Vekut. You can't have absolute Vekut. You're a human being. So you have to forget it. But I want the Vekut. But I'm working toward it. Okay, I'll give you quasi devekut. I'll give it to you be matana. Wait a second, what does matana mean? Matana means you haven't achieved it. Which means to say there will never be an absolute achievement on the behalf of human beings, which brings us back to our conversation, which you jumped at the beginning of the class, which took us back to the conversation at the end of last class with David, that shlemut won't actually be achieved fully. That's what I think this Gemara is saying. There's another Gemara, I think, but says we didn't it. Get it as a matana. What's that? All right, so Moshe did, but you know, it's, it's, it's the, the concept more than anything. You're right. But the Gemara Masechet Eruvin on Dafnundal, it describes us as once 
quote getting it. Well, maybe not as a matana. Says the Gemara we're still, we're with still luchot, the, the with the first thing. luchot. Indeed, the first luchot says the Gemara ilmale. Had the luchot not been destroyed, we never would have forgotten any Torah, which is a crazy thing. Now, to describe that as an achievement is difficult, but already to describe it as a complete state of being, quote unquote, that's something. But the shattering of that's right. But a shattering of the luchot is very much understandable by us, right? So it's a, another one of these descriptions of you couldn't and cannot be in a state of shelemut. It's just, it's just uh, you're a human being. You can't be there and you won't be there. To state it better, again, from my Gemara Masech Nedarim, I love the way it says it. The only way you can come close to it is b'matana. So you can't have the direct apprehension and involvement with the vekut. To the extent that, and I'll conclude with this, uh, the famous description, the famous description of Rab Chaim Velazhinos, the author of Nefesh Hayim of his Rabbi Gaon Mivilna. He said, and please, I, I mean, you know, I know Itai can, but I can't define for you any. Well, Jack certainly can. What any of this means, but it says that my Rabbi, my master Gaon Mivilna, right, Rabbi Eliyahu of Vilna, he was requested from angelic beings, from Magidim, to reveal to him Sodot Torah. What does that mean? Hard for me to understand. I can tell you. Our guy, Rabbi Yosef Karo, the author of Shohan Aruch, wrote a book called Magid Mesharim, in which he describes and writes and transcribes the conversations with a Magid. Not only that, our guy. This our guy, Ramhal, attests about himself and tells you some of his conversations with Magidim. He died before the age of 40. Pretty cool. But anyway, that's the description. I can't tell you exactly what any of that means. I can't tell you. Some sort of prophetic, trans-like state or whatever. Gaon Mivilna describes how in his dreams or whatever, in circumstances, he was requested the communion with these and he refused it. Why would he refuse it? Are they going to tell him false Torah? Ironically, they do. He, it's said in the name of Gaon Mivilna, maybe it was doing Chaim Velazhin, that Rabbi Yosef Karo in Magid Mesharim you'll find a few mistakes in Halakha and, but it's from the Magid how could there be a mistake in the Halakha so the description is the Magid is your self-created almost subconscious above and beyond your regular apprehension when you sleep you shut down all those distractions something along those lines but nonetheless Gaon Mivilna didn't want any of that why didn't he want any of that so of course Amelos he wanted to toil in it that's the way I was taught I was yeshiva it was a beautiful message but it's more than that if you read his specific words two three times I'll just read to you one time in source number nine here two lines from the bottom I bolded the words, Eni rose, the only thing I want, I'm seeking that which is in the mouth of God. Which means to say, and I bring you full circle, I bring you full circle, if you're looking for dvekut, by definition, that is shlemut. Shlemut means you've achieved it on your own. If you haven't achieved it on your own, then that's a hisaron, that's barrier between yourself and God. God, after all, is shalem, betachlita shlemut. What does that mean? He's not deficient, he's not dependent well, upon others. Well, what's the if, context of this statement? It's in the context. I'll tell you. I'll just read. It. Look at the second part. Kishamati mipiv. I heard from him. Hakadosh. Shepamim rabot. Hishkimu lefitoh kama migidim min hashamayim. These angelic beings came to them. Sheilatam vakashalim shorosim limsor lo razindo oraita beloshum amal. Without any uh, toil, he would get the secrets from the heavens. Why wouldn't you want that? It's not going to be false understanding. It's just not going to be amelut. Why do you need the amelut? The description is not just I want it. The description is I want it from his mouth. 
uh, my description of he wants it from his mouth is devekut. I want to be talking to him. How do you talk to him? Well, I have to achieve it myself. That is the lesson of da'atid l'not throughout. You want shalemut. You need to be deficient and you need to achieve it. Putting it full circle again. What we discussed last time is God creates us with deficiencies. This creation of deficiencies is a necessary component to coming to completeness. Shalemut means I've achieved it on my own. The description today is further. That is in turn shalemut devekut. Right? Why is it devekut? Why is that cleaving to God when I'm complete? I'm sitting at the same table as him. He's complete. He achieved it on his own. And I'm complete. I achieved it on my own. Which means to say, so to speak, if I want to sit at the table and talk with him, not just have him throw it at me, but rather talk with him, not be mekabel b'matana, but rather have devekut. It means I need to achieve it on my own. I think that's the direction of Gaon Mivilna. I think that's the direction of Ramchal through and through. I think his description is one in which he will a little bit more elaborate in the more cosmic sense, because he'll then talk about not only human deficiencies, but world deficiencies. He told us he was going there. He's been talking about tikkun, well, he's a capitalist, he has to talk about tikkun olam. He can't just talk about the tikkun hayahid and so forth. But the description that he's been that he's been setting forth for us is the necessary component of deficiencies. We need not, we should not see that as a tragic consequence of existence, but rather as a mission, as an opportunity more specifically, to achieve godliness. That's how I'm defining the word shalemut. Shalemut equals devekut. Devekut is achieved by being like God. How are you like God? Of course, you can act like Him. You can think like Him. What does it mean to act like Him and to think like Him? It means to be independent. It means to be achieving it on your own. Of course, with a healthy understanding of God's involvement with you. But ultimately speaking, it means it's not just inborn. It's not innate. It's not something that was handed to you by others. It's something you've achieved on your own. It's, so to speak, that reality in which you don't have that. Amen. <laughs>